We'll be back in Acts next week, and we'll be picking up there. We're in the middle of the, of course, the debate, the discussion, the controversy that has occurred between uh, the issue of, of mixing law and grace, law and faith, and, and the Judaizers coming in and, and asserting that the, the law must be followed and circumcision must take place in order for salvation to be complete and true. And basically, one must convert to Judaism before they can actually truly become a Christian was their thought. We've looked at the first two responses, the first one given the response by Peter, then the response by Paul, and then we will get into the response next by James, the half-brother of the Lord, who's the pastor of the church. We'll be looking at that, but this morning we're going to be in 1 John. I'm going to look at an important thought here, boy, I think it'll be a a tremendous help. Chapter 5, starting there in verse number 1 of chapter 5, look down through verse number 4. says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored. Help me to stay true to your word. I pray for your your help, your mercy, and your grace, Lord. May your word teach us. May it feed and, and be a help and strengthen and draw us closer to you. Please do a work on hearts, Lord. I pray that that you you would get a hold of hearts this morning, Father. Again, may it truly be a help and bear fruit in our life. Lord, and I do pray if there's anyone here who has truly never been born again, that there's never been genuine conversion. Lord, I pray that even this morning they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We live in, of course, a, a day of great change. Uh, we've all recognized that last 10, 15 years, and really going back into the maybe even the 60s, seeing changes occur, the 70s, the 80s, and, and just exploding now in the last 10, 15 years. Dave, even enormous compromise coming in in churches. There are multitudes, multitudes being seduced by false, false doctrine, uh, lying spirits, a day of, of mass worldliness just even coming into the Lord's churches. Uh, we live in a day when people are allowing love without truth to determine actions and what they do, <clears throat> as if that is a good thing. However, when love is not rooted in truth, it leads to uncertainness, tolerance of sin, no doctrinal clarity. It ends up having the opposite effect that is desired by love. It begins to hurt and not help. Let me give an example. I'm I'm sure we've all seen these interviews with some of these big-name pastors and watching one on the news being interviewed, and he refused to condemn the sin of homosexuality. He said, I'm not going to say that's a sin. He refused. It was just... It was, well, not, not too shocking in the day we live in. And, and the interviewer's lost was trying to get him to admit, well, what about the Bible? What does it say? You know? And he said, I'm not going to say that. God is, he gave two things God's commanded him to do. God's commanded me to love and to help the poor. He said, that's what I'm going to do. 
You know, the other popular pastor, like Joel Osteen, would do the same thing. He refused to condemn it as sin. And a lot of this is done in the name of love. But what they're doing is not in love at all. What, what they're doing is bowing to a culture. The pressure of the culture right now is all that they're bowing to. And in reality, their response is the opposite of love. Love wants to present truth. John, who, the, the writer here of, of, of the epistle of 1 John, is perhaps one of the greatest examples we have of presenting truth in love. Using both together. It's a matter of, not like that crazy church over in Westboro or wherever they are in Kansas, at all. It's a matter of presenting truth in love. I, I mean, how cowardice of us, when we know what's true and what's right, to refuse to say it so we look acceptable in our culture. When we know, no, 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 this is so wrong. This is, this is going to destroy you. This is going to hurt. The idea today of our culture of allowing a four-year-old to decide what gender they are. That is absurd. That will do nothing but damage and hurt. To allow a teenager to believe uh, something apart from truth. No, you get to choose your own gender. If you want to take drugs to change it physically, biologically, so be it. If you want surgery to do that, so be it. Yet the, the harm and the damage that that is actually causing, and people that just want to shut their mouth and say, well, it's out of love if that's what they choose. No, they're they're operating from a place in this life that is separate from truth. The damage it will cause now and for eternity is genuine and it's real. Love wants to address that and say, no, please. You're heading, just like when I would see my children heading in a wrong direction and wanting to tell them, no, this is a wrong direction. Why would I do that? Because it's motivated out of love. Now, granted, there are those who like to come at those positions apart from love. They have truth, but they have no love. It's about being right. That will bear very little fruit as well. The book of verse John is a book about clarity. There is no ambiguity with John. It deals with basically who is true and who is not. Who is saved and who isn't. It's clear. The whole theme of it is, is basically that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can look at it and say, okay, this is the true evidence of salvation where this is not evidence of salvation. We come to that even in the text that we're dealing with. It's, where it's dealing with the importance of faith and what it produces. Faith really is an amazing thing. Uh, let me make a comparison to what faith is like. It's kind of like heat. Heat energy. Heat has an effect on everything around it. If you turn your gas burner on the stove, heat's going to be produced. It's not that you care about the actual flame itself. What you care about is the heat that it's producing and what that can do. Heat energy can do a lot. We use it so much. I mean, you set a a, a water in a pan on that heat. amazing what will happen in just a few minutes. It will begin to boil, changing it. Heat from the sun, think about this, it travels 93 million miles to Earth, giving us the perfect temperatures we need to survive, except in Alaska in November, December, January, February, March. Our bodies produce an exact temperature. Isn't that amazing? I mean, to the tenth, to the perfect degree. I mean, you let that thing go off one degree and you're just like, uh-oh, 
something's going on. <laughs> because all of a sudden you're at 100 degrees. Let that thing get off just 2 or 3 degrees. If, if I get to 102, I'm out. Forget it. My whole body hurts and I am done. It's just that small adjustment. Just amazing. Our faith is like heat energy. When it's present and active, it will produce other things. This is what our text deals with. Now, like heat, energy, faith must be in the right context or it will be harmful. If you have the energy that heat produces and it's in the wrong context, it can cause damage. Just like with faith. Let me explain. You can take the heat of an iron and iron your clothes and it has a great effect. Stick your face on it. That doesn't work. When I, when, I, when I was in basic training in the Air Force, I had to actually iron my own clothes for the very first time. And so I am ironing my clothes and getting used to the iron. And actually, I got pretty good. I still enjoy it, actually, to this day. I don't know why. But I learned a great lesson like the second or third time there when I was in base. I, I had it set up. I set the iron down. And I learned really quick, you always need to know where that iron is at. Because I leaned over, and this part of my arm rested right against that thing. I sounded like a cartoon character yelling so loud and jumping. It hurt so bad. But that heat had caused harm. Faith not used in the right way can also hurt you. I think back when I was here, back in the 90s, when I was in the Air Force here, assistant pastor here. I don't know if you remember this time, but we had a comment that was passed. And I can't remember which, which one it was by name at this time. Bop or something like that? I don't know. But a comment was passing, and you had a bunch of people that actually committed suicide because they believed if they died at the right moment, they would be on that comet. Their faith hurt them. Why? It was in the wrong thing. And you ever wondered, let's say you get on a ball of ice flying through space. What are you going to do now? <laughs> I mean, why didn't somebody ask that question? So what happens when we get there? <laughs> in our text... We see the importance of faith based in truth and what that will produce. All right? Again, John, John is coming so you can see who's truly born of God and who is not. Who's true and who's not. Who's real and who's not. Throughout the book, he gives a doctrinal test, a love test, and a moral test. He's been threading this. He threads that throughout the entire book of 1 John. Now, here in 1 John 5, he's relating things to faith and what it produces, of how it changes your life. We're going to see it leads to regeneration, a new birth. It leads to right love, right obedience, and to be an overcomer. Those things will be present in somebody who's saved. No question about it. It's the purpose of the book. This is what it will look like when conversion takes place. So let's take a look at that. The first thing we know that faith produces, according to 1 John chapter 5, is it produces regeneration or, of course, a new birth. He says in verse 1, <coughs> excuse me, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Even in verse 5, uh, uh, um, he comes down, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, it's not just believing anything about Christ. That's the point here of this text. It's not believing what you want to about Christ that produces regeneration. It's believing something that's true. 
<clears throat> it's believing the fact, like it says here in verse 1, that he is the Christ. That was his mission. He was the anointed one. He was the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament, going back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He was the one that would be born of woman, born of a virgin. He was the one that would be a descendant of Abraham, through whom all the nations would be blessed. He would be the willing sacrifice that we see prophesied about in Genesis chapter 22. The Messiah would be the, the one uh, uh, um, uh, um, coming unto whom the scepter belongs. A king, Genesis 49. The Messiah would be the Passover lamb, Exodus chapter 12. The Messiah would be lifted up, Numbers 21. The Messiah would be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, Isaiah chapter 9. The, the Messiah would suffer, Isaiah chapter 53. All these things must come to pass in the Messiah. This is what's important. This is why he is the Christ. It's not his last name. It's who he is. It's what he did. It's understanding that. It's not just placing your faith in Jesus about anything. It's about basing it in truth of what he did. That's what produces regeneration. It's knowing that because he is the Christ, salvation is in no other. As he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's not in baptism. It's not in church membership. It's not in how good you are. It's not in the fact that you turned over a new leaf. Salvation is in Christ. That's what produces the new birth. You see, if your faith is apart from truth, it's vanity and it can hurt you. Faith has to be in truth. What produces the new birth isn't getting baptized in that water. That's not it. That's not going to do it. It isn't by you deciding, you know what? I I'm going to start living a good life, and I'm coming to church. I'm glad you made that decision. But that's not going to make you born again. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ, because as we just saw, he was the sacrifice. He was the one to come that would enable salvation to take place for the entire world. Because of what he did on the cross. Because he lived the perfect life as a man. That when he went to that cross, he literally took your place in judgment. God the Father placed upon him your sin. The Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us. At the same time that he takes your sin, he gives you his perfect life. Salvation is in Christ alone. You have to ask yourself, what is your faith in when it comes to salvation? If it's not in Christ alone, oh, you need it in truth. You have to come to that place where you repent and place your faith in Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. In verse 5, it talked about knowing that he is the Son of God. Knowing and not denying that Today, we see this truth denied over and over by, by, by different isms that have, that have popped up over the last 100, 200 years. I mean, the, really, the, den, the denial of Jesus is God has been taking place for 2,000 years. But boy, it's, it's rose to such a prominence with groups like the Jehovah Witness Church, denying that Jesus is Jehovah. He is Jehovah. He is. He is the Son of God. We serve one God who exists in three states. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is one God existing in three states. You see that principle throughout all of creation. I've talked about it before. All of creation speaks of that trinity when God created the entire universe. 
You have groups like the LDS Church, the Mormon Church, trying to teach that Jesus is not God. The God, yes, he is. He is God come in the flesh who came to redeem man, to produce a means of salvation so that you could be, as the verse talks about, born of God. Apart from that, you have no hope. You will stand before God in judgment. You will be found guilty and you will spend an eternity in a lake of fire. That's truth. You you don't want a church to stop preaching the reality of hell because it's true. So this morning, what is your faith in? Has there been a time in your life when you've genuinely been converted? When regeneration, when you've been born of God? When you realize your sinful, wicked condition and the only way out is Jesus Christ and you coming to a place of placing your faith in Him. But we also see between verse 1 and 2, faith not only leads to regeneration, but once that takes place, it leads to the right love. It says here, And everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know... That we, uh, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So let's look at this. He's saying here, once this faith, true faith, he's trying to, what, what, what this epistle is trying to do is to bring clarity. Because at this time, when he's writing this, there was mass confusion coming in. This book was not written, it was written very close to actually when the book of Revelation was written. He's not on the Isle of Patmos yet, but this is past 90 AD. He's getting ready to get exiled when he writes this. And you had this doctrine that was creeping in 30, 40 years earlier called Gnosticism. It was coming in. Gnosticism was simply the belief of of an elevated knowledge, of secret knowledge. They even put it above virtue, above morality, if you will. And And so it was producing two effects in good churches that were beginning to destroy them. You had those that were going to two extremes that were following Gnosticism. You had those that were believed in the secret knowledge is all you needed. And basically, their physical life, their moral life, they didn't care. None, none of that mattered. They could be really as wicked as they wanted to. But it also produced the other, other extreme of asceticism, of those who were just now believing that because of how holy and righteous they were living. It, it, you had those who were rebounding from, that, from the Gnosticism and going a whole other direction. And, and believing that almost that, that your suffering and your righteousness was key, and it wasn't. And so he's writing to give clarity, say, listen, this is how we know who's born of God. One, it deals with faith in Jesus the Christ. And he says, when this is in place, your love is going to be right. Your new birth gives you right love. It's a result of conversion, by the way, not a condition of conversion. Your conversion will lead to a love for God. If you tell me, Pastor, I have, I remember I went and I put my faith in Christ, but you have no love for God, listen to me, that's a red flag telling you something's wrong. Something is wrong. I I, I remember it going back, and and I had hardly any Bible knowledge. I remember from the day I got saved. That desire. I mentioned yesterday, men of faith. The desire, just, I, I, just wanted, I just want to serve him. It was, no, it was there. 
that love that this is talking about. If you claim a testimony of salvation yet you really have no love for God, listen, that's an enormous red flag. It also leads to love for other Christians. It's, it's like a spinning door. If, if you're, if, once you're converted, you have a love for God, and that love for God is also going to produce for a love for the brethren, for others. That's going to be present. It's going to be there. <clears throat> and that begins, that begins, in this love, what's unique about it, different than the world's love. This is, I, I, I suppose it's one of the defining characteristics of what separates God's love from the world's love. Your love for others is based on the relationship you have, not on how they treat you. That's the difference with God's love. It's based on sort of the family relationship now. And faith and love will always grow together. If your faith grows, your love will grow. They go hand in hand. The more you love God, the more you will trust Him. Your faith will grow with love. And it's true, in that, that, that sense, it's even true in, in, in our regular human relationships. The more you love someone, the more trust you're going to have there. So when conversion is genuine, it produces a love for God, which will also produce a love for other believers. But then two and three. This one really gets very practical now. I'll probably focus a little bit more on this one than the others. All right, the end of verse 2, it says, When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now get this. And his commandments are not grievous. Interesting. So now we see something else that our faith produces. It produces regeneration. It produces a love for God. But genuine faith also produces the right obedience. There's a wrong obedience, and there's a right obedience. All right? Right obedience is based on love. All this goes back to our faith. Our obedience before God, once salvation takes place, is based on love and not law. Christ talked about how the Pharisees were putting burdens on people that were heavy and, 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 just, and just hurting and not helping. People found their religion to be grievous, difficult, because of all this they had to do that was coming from man. There was no desire for it. It was difficult. It was hard. This is something very different that John is talking about. In the Old Testament, when dealing, as you go through the Old Testament, and it's going through all the different kings that we have, it, it, there's, there's a phrase that's pretty common throughout. It'll say this about several different kings. He did that which was right, but not with a perfect heart. He did that which was right, but not with a perfect heart. There was obedience, but it wasn't right obedience. There was a major flaw to it that would lead to problems. It wasn't in love. It wasn't in love. It would lead to problems. God desires our obedience. He always has, by the way. You go back to the, in, back to the book of Moses. The Lord talks about that. He desires our obedience out of love. Well, what happens with genuine salvation when you're born again is your faith all of a sudden gives you a desire to be obedient out of love. It does. It changes that. It says his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. 
A Christian will not look at the commandments of God like a jail cell. We're going to do what? You want to know what's obedient. Listen, if you're here right now and you believe God's commandments are grievous, something's wrong. It's a matter of when you love God, you see what he did. God, what, what would you have me to do? You don't look at it as grievous. They look at, how can I please him? But now it's, it's as if we're viewing everything today as if, no, that, see, that's just, uh, as if they want to throw that away. And again, there was a horrible book written that did so much damage. Um, it was written in the 1990s. And it was a book talking about the grace of God. I remember hearing about it and I started to read the book. And I'm reading through this and I'm like, oh my goodness, the seeds this is planting is going to be horrible. Without directly saying it, it was basically saying, because we have the grace of God, we can just about do what we want. Without saying it like that. But that would be the fruit that was produced. And boy, was it. Think about what David, when he wrote different psalms, he actually sang about the law, didn't he? Think of the psalmist of Psalm 119, singing about the law of God. How many songs do you see today written about man's law? Oh, how I love April 15th. They write a romantic ballad about April 15th because they have to pay taxes. Does that happen? No. You don't see, you don't see songs written about man's laws. I mean, we've got to obey them. I get that. But yet, when it comes to God's law, you see those who actually sing about it. In a way, oh, how love I thy law. You see, when a person is regenerated, there's a love, a desire to be obedient. Lord, what would you have me to do? If, again, if, if God's law to you is grievous... Something's horribly wrong. It's this love that motivates our service, that motivates our obedience. Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constraineth me. This is what 1 John here is saying. It produces a right obedience, a desire to, to obey God. Where it's not grievous, it's not like, okay... I got to go to church. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. There's a difference when you do things out of love as compared to I have to. A good example of that, uh, uh, a, a good example of that in the book of Genesis is is Jacob and Rachel. Is it not? Remember, he had worked seven years. What did the Bible say about that? I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it was it seemed like nothing. Why? Because he loved her. What he, it, it just seemed like nothing. Because there was a love behind it that was motivating it. I mean, think if he didn't actually love her. And i got to work seven years to marry her? Are you kidding me? It would be grievous. But because it was motivated in love, it seemed like nothing to him. It's the same thing with God. I mean, I mean think of that. Today. Think of who God is. If all this is true, if we actually believe it, of how great he is and all that he's done. And then you get that knowledge. You come to a place of regeneration. You're saved. You think of all that he's did, the creator. And now you're saved. 
And you're like, oh, you want me to do what? That's not, a, something's wrong there, isn't it? It's no, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's love that's driving, when love drives your obedience, it does help you to endure during the difficult times. It helps you to be an amazing testimony before the world. When those you work with see your faithfulness to church, where it's not that you have to go to church, but they can see it in you. You get to go to church. So there's a difference. If you have the mentality, I have to go to church, something's wrong. Teenager, if you're just here thinking, I have to go to church, it's what we do, something's horribly wrong. I don't care what you prayed. I don't. Something's wrong. When you are regenerated, there's a desire to obey. You're going to fail at that. Don't get me wrong. You still have flesh. There's no perfection here. You're going to fail at that. You're going to need to come before God and, and, and apologize. But the desire is there. When those around you, your neighbors, your co-workers, those that God basically puts in your life on purpose, when they do begin to see a difference in your life, look, look, at, how they, look at how they dress, look at how they talk. I was in the Air Force when I was, and I had a new boss, Paulie was his last name. And we were working together for about two or three months, and he started asking questions about my faith. And, and I can't remember how we got on the, we got on the subject of cussing, and I said, I, 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 said, I said, you've never heard me cuss. He goes, you don't cuss. I said, no. He goes, he goes really? Since, he goes, since I have been here, he goes, I've, I've had to hear you cuss. I said, you never have heard me cuss. Ever. And he was just. And, and then he asked about differences. So, so why do you do this? And it wasn't because, it wasn't this answer. Well, it's because what our church does. Do you not get what the Christian life is about? It's not about because of what your church does. It's about explaining, you know what? I, I, I know we live in, in a world today that's a whole lot different than what it used to be. But man, I want to honor that creator. And when I believe what I'm doing right now is doing just that. I remember when Bethany, we were, we were out soul winning with a church uh, in Florida. And Bethany was going, she might not remember this, I do. She's going door to door with one of the other teenagers. And the guy at the door they went to had asked her why she dressed modestly. I don't remember the wording he used. Obviously, probably not that word. That's my word. But basically asked that question. And she did respond with, we have to because of our church. Do you think that man's going to come to church? No. He's going to think, what? What is that? Why? why? That, in, in his lost mind, he's going to think, that's a nutso motivation right there is what that is. Think, if you're that lost person, how are you going to look at that? What? The truth is, when you're regenerated, God's commands are not grievous. They're not. And then lastly, verse 4 and 5, he says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. He was he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So he comes, he almost finishes with where he started. 
But the last thing that faith produces here, it produces the right obedience, it produces the right love, it produces regeneration, but it leads to overcoming. Now, the word here is fascinating. It really is. The word for overcoming here is very interesting. It was used primarily in the first century. Uh, it's the same word that, of the word Nike, what we would call Nike today, actually. Um, it means to win, to conquer, victory, to defeat. But when it was used, what's interesting is this. It was only used in relation to the Greek gods. That was it. It was not for mortals in their mind. So it would have been shocking to see it used of mortals in that culture. And here's John using it in that sense. And he's saying we are overcomers. We do have that because of our faith. It's produced because of our faith. It's not because of your works. It's not because of your strength. And by the way, you might not feel like an overcomer. And I hope to change that a little bit by the time I finish this point. But it's based upon faith and not how you feel. We still will struggle, we'll fail in our flesh. But as you're going to see, that doesn't change the fact that we are overcomers. The Bible talks of us as we are more than conquerors. The fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God, we have that ultimate victory because of faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, down through verse 57, deals with how we have, we have conquered, we have victory over death. That's mine. It's, that, that victory is won. That's conquered. I will never be separated from God. The word death means separation. That will never happen. We see here we've overcome the world by our faith. As a Christian, what also what, what he had been dealing with in this epistle, think about this, what I've overcome. I know exactly who Christ is. Why Jesus was here. Who he was to the point where I placed my faith in him and regeneration has taken place. I've overcome the lying spirits of the world. I grew up Catholic. I was believing lying spirits as to what was necessary for salvation. That's overcome. I know what it's about. I know salvation is in Christ alone without any kind of tricky semantics that are being used to play with that. I've overcome the vanity of this world, uh, of, of living for this world and its lust. Because I understand why I was created. I understand that, that my life is actually about, is here in order to glorify God. And this victory is secured not because of me, but because of Christ. Just like it tells us in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where I am crucified with Christ. I am. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's a truth. See, there's a measure that positionally, 
because of regeneration of what God decided to do with his mercy and his grace, I am an overcomer. Ephesians 2.6, present tense, I am seated in heavenly places. I mean, there, there's so much that goes with it with what he did when he saved us. True faith leads to you being an overcomer. Faith produces a new birth. Evidence that that takes place is all of a sudden it gives you a, a right love. Which leads to a right obedience. And then positionally in Christ where he's made us overcomers because of our faith in the Son of God. Death that's no longer my enemy. That's taken care of. It's over with. I've been seated in heavenly places. I mean, getting into Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Of all that we have, because of that moment that we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and how God responded to that. In what he did, not what you did. In what he said, we're sinned abound, grace did much more abound in all that he's given you in that. So the question is, I guess there's two. One, are you genuine? Has there been a true conversion in your life of placing your faith solely in Jesus Christ? Not playing, and that's not playing word games with that, like I said, because the devil's a master at that today. Just in the simplicity that is in Christ of you coming to him and him alone and faith in Christ. Not with all these different vehicles that are produced today that simply add works without admitting it to salvation and changing the very gospel. Salvation is in Christ alone. Don't believe me? Ask the thief on the cross. Just ask him. Again, I've talked about it before when I heard that, that one fellow preach, and I thought it was excellent. When, when all of a sudden he finds himself in heaven, and they're like, well, how'd you get here? And they're, and, and they're going on and on, and well, what did you do? Do you understand the principle of justification? No. Wait, wait, do you understand the theology behind going from creation on through? No. Well, well, how did you get here? And he said, the man in the middle cross said I could come. That's what matters. Is your faith solely in Jesus Christ? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Workers for the event can be dismissed. Has there been a time in your life when you have truly placed your faith solely in Christ? Listen, it's not difficult. 
One day you're going to die and stand before God. That's the Bible, and he's going to judge you. It's appointed once to die, but after this to judgment. Follow me here. You're going to die, and you're going to be judged of Almighty God. He's going to use his law, Romans chapter 2, to judge your life, and you've broken his law. And all those who are found guilty, Revelation 20 and 21, all those found guilty are cast into the lake of fire. So we know you're going to be judged. You know that you are guilty. We know that every single person found guilty is cast into the lake of fire. Something has to take place where you look perfect. That's God's requirement. That's why God became a man 2,000 years ago. That's why Jesus was here, to make you look perfect. He lived the perfect life for you. God in the flesh. As a man, lived the perfect life. Then he went to the cross to take your sin upon himself. To take your place in judgment. To satisfy justice. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who made salvation possible. And the Bible says this, plain as day, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is faith in Him, the Son of God, that produces regeneration, a new birth, a conversion. Say, Pastor, please, I think I need that. I'm not certain that I've truly been converted. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Would you please pray for me? I think I need that. Would you just raise your hand for me real quick? Let me see it. You can put it back down. I won't call you out. Anybody here like that right now? Just put your hand up for me, then put it back down. Anybody here like that at all? If you put your hand up, I did miss it. I see a couple of small children is all I see. I would need you to do it again. All right, Christian. There is much that comes with our faith. Much. Much that faith produces. But there are times we can stifle the effectiveness of it, the heat of it, if you will. Is there things in your life hindering that fruit from being produced? If you need to come and pray, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's turn to page 59. If you need to come and pray, you come and pray.